हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर दर प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन दर डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो humans are rational beings but we are also driven by emotions the last decade has witnessed an ever increased interest in emotional designs particularly for developing more engaged user experience emotional design is about creating aesthetically pleasing and functional connections between users and the product so that the users love using the product it can drastically impact the success of a product and hence directly impact an enterprise's bottom line but how can the designers articulate positive emotions in their designs and provide an immersive experience today we have with us lara mendonsa head of product design at bumble with her passion for inclusive and dynamic design she has been building collaborative and diverse teams and empowering them in designing successful products she is an expert in design direction and strategy design operations mentorship and growth communication and leadership and a lot more so today on the valentine's day let's get into conversation with her on our special episode Hello Lara welcome to Avantika Designing Podcast series thank you so much for joining us on our Valentine's Day special episode we are super excited to host you on our show today thank you thank you so much for having me i'm really excited to be here so as an ice breaker lara a hard thing to do is to make someone fall in love with each other you have consistently achieved that by creating environments that ultimately transform into a lovely relationship how do you feel when you see successful love stories that got created due to your mobile application um i think that's why we do the job to be honest um everyone at bombo is looking for you know someone to fall in love and i think um the company really feels like we achieved our goal when people find um their other half and also i think you know even if someone doesn't find a long term relationship if they find someone to spend time with um that makes them happy that also makes us happy so i think you know we share um success stories um in a newsletter in the company um we usually talk to users that fall in love via bumble to know like how it happened you know what what are you guys doing we've had babies um that you know were introduced to like to us to the company because they exist because of bumble and it's just super exciting i think that's sometimes you forget that that's what people get out of bumble they get real life relationships and love and um yeah it's just really exciting wow i'm sure that uh, must be a super proud feeling 
when you get your customers talking to you that hey we found love um, using your mobile application and i'm sure you must be feeling super excited about it yeah no definitely it's it's um i don't know it's a feeling of you know really achieving what you set out to do as a designer we sometimes when we do other types of work we don't really have as much contact with the results of the work and sometimes it's something more transactional you know someone wants to buy something and they do but when you have a chance to do something that changes people's lives forever it's really um it really reinforces that i'm doing the right thing that i i i was meant to be a designer and um and that i'm happy doing my job so it's really exciting and yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't trade this job for anything you know being a designer is is a really special job wow that's so Uh, amazing to hear when you feel so proud about what you do and lara over the years you have collaborated with different businesses and design studios with a lot of experience in fact i had to scroll down at least three times on the linkedin page to actually look at your professional journey my question for you is can you take us through your professional journey right from the start to here at bumble um uh, you know you started as a graphic design intern um and and to being at uh, bumble today can you can you run us through the entire journey yeah of course um i started um my my professional career in rio in brazil when i was about 19 years old um i worked for this tiny tiny design studio called sahibero and what they did was actually very unique and it taught me a lot about being a designer very multidisciplinary because they were um specializing in film props so that's how i started my career i would do fake newspapers and um movie posters and like um packaging for things you know beer and sweets like candy for movies so they had to sometimes resemble real ones so i had to kind of copy like a heineken label and make it a little different um but sometimes it had to be completely original and that's the one that i had like the most fun doing and it really was interesting as a first job because i never thought that I, as a designer i could do that so it really opened my mind for like everything that design can do then um i got a, another internship at a like the the biggest conglomerate company in in Brazil in Latin America actually called Globosat and they have everything they have like broadcasting a record label um internet like companies they have a, a lot of stuff and i worked for the record label and i would do everything digital that you can imagine i would do like landing pages um banners emails um once i did something that w- um was shown in like a football game and for like with like neymar and you know it was super huge um at the time for my career and i also had to do a lot of different things so again like very multidisciplinary then um i had to stop because i was still in university by the way when i was working on all of these so when i left for a um exchange year here in the UK I had to stop working so I didn't work um for a whole year then when I came back to Brazil I got a job an actual job not an internship um but I was still studying so studying and working kind of became really difficult to do both and um I ended up dropping out of school 
and staying at work because I was like, I think I'm, you know, I was already a mid-level designer by then. I already had a network. I already had a career. I, I thought, you know, I, if I stay in school, I'm going to have to stop working and then it's going to be so hard to get a job after. Um, and you, to be honest, it was a good decision that I made. It's not something that I would necessarily recommend, but it was good for me. And um, so I got this job at this startup and I worked there for a year. It was a, a small um, startup in the kind of um, real estate space. So it was trying to create a virtual um, assistant and kind of helper for real estate um, realtors. And basically, like it was it was a good idea. I think the, you know, the team was all very, very new. Um, so we didn't have a lot of experience at the time, but it was a fun job. And then I moved to the UK. Well, no, actually, no, that I, I got a, um, a freelance job in a company called Percycle that I kept doing while I was in the UK. Um, and basically it was this new company. Um, like f- we were, I think four people in the team and it was a kind of recommendation service for um, like a plug-in recommendation service for e-commerce. So before all e-commerce had like, you know, related products at the bottom, that kind of big data technology didn't exist in Brazil at the time. So they were the first to create that in a way that was really easy to implement. And everyone was super excited about that. Um, So it was quite a fun job because it was like dashboards and things I had never designed before. And again, like the company had no branding. It was all very new to me. So I was really excited to do that. Then I moved to the UK. I struggled to get a job in the UK. I did a few freelance jobs that were kind of, I was overqualified for, but I really struggled because I was coming, you know, with a CV with companies that people didn't know, um, with a wide variety of jobs. And in the UK, specialization is really, really important. And um, so at first I struggled and then I got a job at Sky and Sky is the biggest broadcaster in the UK. And that's when my career really took off. Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Sky. I joined their digital team, um, but I, I would also do some print work. It was a very multidisciplinary team as well, but it's where I really got in touch with specializing in product um, a lot more than I, I, you know, I had been a web designer and, and done a lot of this work but I didn't have the vocabulary and the understanding that this was a specific field that I could go into. So that's when I understood that. And, um, and yeah, and I got a lot of experience. I also met, you know, lovely friends. And at some point I felt, okay, I don't want to keep doing this, um, generalist stuff. I really want to, you know, zero in this, um, field of UX that I discovered that is a whole field in the UK. Um, so that's when I started freelancing as a as a product designer, and I did a, I went through a lot of really cool companies and agencies as a freelancer. So I worked for Transferwise for six months. Um, I also did work with agencies doing websites for HSBC um, and product well websites and products for HSBC, and also the new kind of UK platform for Mitsubishi. Um, and yeah, and a bunch of other really cool projects. And I, you know, I was able to really get, um, a good knowledge of the market of the options I had. I worked with companies of very different sizes and I understood where in the scale I wanted to go next. So after almost two years of doing that, um, I got a little tired of the freelance game. I think 
you know, it was really good for you to get that quick experience, but I wanted to belong to a team. I wanted to go into leadership. Um, I felt ready. I was already kind of a senior lead designer by the point I, I finished doing that. So I was like, I think it's my time to join a, a company as a, as a permanent employee. So I joined a little startup called Plum Guide. Um, they were doing really well in the UK and in the US. They are basically similar to an Airbnb, but what they do is they test every single home in the platform. They take professional pictures and they have a really like customer focus, customer crazy. They really care about the customer um, mindset. And it, it was really important to me to understand that that was possible, that I could do a job where you know, talking to people and understanding their needs was um, my day to day and it wasn't special or, you know, every once in a while. So I really loved working there and it was a really, really small team when I joined. It was just me. And when I left, I felt like I was ready to try the other side um, to go on a bigger scale, something that I had never done before, working kind of a company as big as Bumble. So I was approached by Bumble. I wasn't necessarily looking for a job. Um, but I, I knew Bumble, I knew the story of Bumble from, you know, um, Whitney Wolf left Tinder because she was sexually harassed. And then she started her own company, but Tinder tried to buy Bumble in the past. Like, and I knew all of that from hearing in the press. And I also knew like from using Bumble, that it was a product that was, it felt really genuine. Um, and then I was like, sure, I, I would love to interview for Bumble and the process was what really sold it to me because um, people like, first of all, I spoke to so many women. I had never spoken to so many women in a professional capacity before. It was great. But also everyone was really mission driven. Everyone was so clever at the top of their game. And I thought I need to join this company. There's no way. Um, and, and I ended up joining it. And since then, yeah, like working at Bumble has been an amazing challenge. Um, I mean, we went public today, so I couldn't be more excited about um, like the future. And yeah, that's it. That's I would say that's my story. Wow, that's super inspiring, Lara. It's 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 a story that is connected with a purpose. It's story connected with such a lot of passion and determination in your journey. I'm, I'm quite sure that it's been an exciting one. So Lara, moving to my next question, you have developed and motivated inclusive and dynamic teams to design successful products and turned dating from being the ultimate target to a journey for you and your team to reframe multiple processes from the very beginning of the application to messaging experiences. Can you tell us about the challenges you and your team encountered during this entire process? I think, first of all, um, in the kind of inclusive and dynamic teams, this is something that I'm very passionate about. And I think part of that, you know, part of working at Bumble and what you said about um, kind of the challenges of designing this entire experience, um, having a diverse team, having an adaptable team, a passionate team, a mission-driven team really helps with that because People are lying around the same goals. They have um, a similar belief, kind of relentless belief that we're doing something important here. And that to me is something that um, if you don't have that as a team, it, you know, you're not going to be able to do good things together. So one of the things that I think we started to do was um, do more effective collaboration. So 
we started to, you know, influence more of the decisions of the company. That was something that I really wanted to do because I believe design can do that. We can achieve change and we can do better work if we listen to designers, if they bring their perspective. So I brought design closer to product and research and um, marketing. And I, I'm really proud to say that, you know, they now have great working relationships and do good things together. And I think overall, you know, the other challenge that I saw was um, with the kind of industry that we have for dating, great design was not a priority for any of our competition. Um, it's a very transactional idea. And I think Bumble wants to be different. Bumble really wants to invest in the emotional connection with our users. So this is something that I, you know, I champion. And this is something that we have embedded into everything we do. So we stopped talking about, you know, like you said, um, dating kind of being the target, being meeting someone and instead um, making the whole journey fun and playful because that's what dating is. Getting to know someone should be fun and playful, even if it doesn't work out, even if, you know, you guys meet and you decide, oh, actually, we don't match that well in, re you know, in real life or after I don't know, six months together, you realize that you want to go your separate ways. That is life. That's what happens in life. But the whole time, if you're having fun, that, you know, you didn't lose anything, you gained something. So that's what we want dating to be, online dating to be. And part of that, I think, is just injecting more fun in the app and making the visual language um, a bit more emotional. So we did things like we introduced more illustrations and micro animations and elements that really make the app have more personality. And we can see that people really relate to that. They really understand the value of that. So it's really exciting to see. Hey, did you know? Bumble, the dating app promoted by Priyanka Chopra and marketed by Serena Williams, just raised $2.15 billion after increasing its IPO price twice. The app is available in 25 different languages all over the world. Wow, that's really exciting. In fact, uh, Lara Bumble is a social networking app that strives to provide the most inclusive and inspiring way to communicate with millions of users around the world. While we talk about Bumble, the story, can you also talk about the company's work culture, especially the design team's work culture? I think the work culture on the whole of Bumble, um, it's very unique because, like I said, you know, it's, I was not used to going to rooms with very important people and seeing people who reflect who I am. You know, I was used to going to a room with just men and I would be the only woman in any sort of leadership role in a company. And that was pretty normal to me. So be able to see a very diverse group of people, different ethnicities, different nationalities, different genders, sexualities, um, beliefs, you know, religions is just really refreshing because that's what people, that's what reflects humanity. And we're designing for everyone. We're designing for the whole of the human race, um, we don't limit, you know, Bumble is only for this. So for us to reflect that inside a boardroom or a meeting room, it was really important. And I think that's in itself reflects the culture that I saw well when I was in the office. Now, unfortunately, we're all remote, but 
um, in the office, in person, you could walk around and you would see every kind of person. And it was super interesting. Um, and in the team itself, um, I think we have a real culture of psychological safety. That's the most important thing for me. I always say that, you know, being an effective team and a high quality team, all those things are really important. But at the end of the day, a job is a job. And you as a person is you're more important than you as a worker. So for me, being sure that my team feels safe to make mistakes, to ask me stupid questions, um, to challenge me and to say when I'm doing something wrong is something that I am so passionate about. Um, and I think we achieved that in our team. You know, I tried to create a space where designers get credit and they get criticism in equal measure from me, from peers, and, you know, know how to deal with all of that and know how to appreciate what they've done, all their efforts and um, praise. So it's something that I've invested in a lot. And I think we are in a really good position right now. And I would say that's like the secret to any good team. So I'm really happy about that. Wow, that's again very interesting. And I'm sure that it's it's an inspiring culture for, you know, where, where everyone is excited to be a part of the team. In fact, you know, your answer brings me to my next question as well, Lara, that designing an inclusive app means dealing with far smaller data sets. But Bumble is a multinational mobile application with millions of customers that involves working with a wider community when it comes to the business side. The question that I have is, how do you reconcile these two situations together? I think um, it's a matter of a priority. I think Bumble made all the right choices until now in terms of that. Um, I see us really designing for vulnerable users first, and that's a choice that is really important. So, you know, we, for example, decide to prioritize safety as a company and it wasn't a design decision or product decision. The From top to bottom, everyone was aware that dating is a very risky business in real life, um, even more than online is, you know, you put yourself out emotionally and physically um, to being hurt. And we wanted to make sure that people felt safe using Bumble and they could rely and be supported by Bumble during their journey. So that was one of the ways in which we chose to protect our vulnerable users. Um, and we've done a few initiatives like a safety center and a new unmatching behavior and a lot of small changes in the app to reassure users throughout their journey. And another thing is that we started to look into specific groups of users that have their own anxieties and fears while using dating apps. You know, so uh, people of color, for example, um, and LGBTQ users. And it's important to look at them, like you said, even though they're smaller data sets and, you know, to an extent, uh, uh, only a percentage of our users, because if you're, I really believe that if you're designing for more vulnerable users, you're designing for everyone else because you will be covering a lot more cases and um, you have a lot less unintended misuse if you cover more people who are more vulnerable in your platform versus people people who are less vulnerable. So that was a choice that everyone also made in the company to look on purpose to those communities and see how we could be, do better for them and really focus on that. So although 
it's not an easy choice and we make it every day. I do believe that Bumble is doing kind of is being able to balance those two sides, the business side, the growth side with um, the mission driven side really, really well. Super. And Lara, now moving from your journey and from Bumble to your area of expertise, the world of design. And when we talk about the world of design, the concept of falling in love with the design and happy customers isn't a new phenomenon. And when it comes to digital products, many people want to interact with digital devices the same way they interact with other people. The question that I have for you is, how can we articulate positive emotions in our designs in order to provide immersive experiences? Um, I think the secret to that is, well, I mean, it's not easy. It's not like, oh, there's a secret recipe. But I think a big part of that is thinking about um, what the user is thinking. So reflecting their mental model. So if they relate to, you know, machines and software and apps, how they relate to other people, that's the secret to um, mimicking that relationship is to really observe and absorb um, how they interact with other people. So this is something that we do. And this is something that I really believe makes a difference is, you know, interactions should feel natural, they should feel um, organic, and they should also feel like real life. The more um, transactional and artificial it is, the less the user will understand that as part of like their life. So I, I do really believe that's the key to that. And you see some of that um, in a lot of experiences. And for example, if you look at Spotify, they do a great job um, with their playlists of connecting with people um, and making sure that you are evoking that emotion You know that makes people want to listen to music and that makes people cry when they listen to music and all of that. So there's a lot of the secret in just observing and mimicking the real interactions. Um, in terms of like immersive experiences and how, you know, how do you make them more emotional? I would say that um, thinking about, you know, how people, um, thinking about like how the visual aids that you have as a designer cause emotions on people is the secret. So For example, when you look at um, illustrations versus photos, I think il having illustrations there versus a stock image, for example, illustrations are so expressive and fun and you can animate them and they create, you know, a whole um, universe around the user. They can, it, it creates a narrative, a story that the user can really feel compelled to, to um, believe in and connect emotionally. So things like that are really important. I think every product that, invest a lot in, in um, a narrative and in creating the narrative visually will really succeed. And you can only do that via the, the, the kind of the options that you already have in your arsenal. So, you know, illustration and animation and sound as well, all of that can really help you sell that story to the user and um, make the user connect to your product. But again, it's not a recipe or a checklist. I think each case is unique and you really need to listen to your users and interpret what they're telling you and then make make decisions based on that versus like following someone's, you know, specific, like the way they did it in their product. In fact, Clara, usability is the heart of a good design, but its definition is different for the users. They prefer aesthetics and fancy designs 
overusable products as you were talking. To design an enjoyable user experience, there needs to be a balance between all the components of design actually. In fact, this brings me to my next question for you, Lara. Mm -hmm. How can designers blend aesthetics, originality, creativity, and usability to create impactful experiences? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. Um, there is a law or like a principle of user experience um, called the aesthetic usability effect that says that, you know, the more aesthetic pleasing something is, the more the user will excuse bad usability. So there is a direct relation between how aesthetic pleasing something is to how people feel about the product. So if you do something that looks nice, even if it's a little less usable, the user will usually not perceive that because they fell in love with the design so much. So there is a secret there. There's a middle ground where you are using this principle. You are um, doing something that is aesthetically pleasing, but you're also investing in usability. I really do believe that. I think we don't have to have an ugly design or you know a super clinical design in order to achieve maximum usability. Um, and again, the secret to all of this is to really talk to your users. So the creative side comes from the designer mind. That's why we're hired. That's why we are not replaceable um, because we do the job of creation and we should not let go of the play of being a designer, of the fun of being a designer to design those kind of clinical, cold, um, utilitarian you know, interfaces. We should still have fun and create things that we think, wow, this looks great. Um, this makes me proud. But at the same time, you need to ask yourself, who am I designing this for? I'm not designing this for myself. So you should, you know, you should talk to users and show them and validate with them and try to cover um, the usability side as well. And in the process, you will make some compromises to your, you know, visual aspirations. And sometimes you won't be able to do exactly what you want. But as long as you are in the happy middle ground where you are showing the user, you know, an idea of a future, you're showing them something new, something exciting, but that they can use, that's fine. I think you don't have to go either extreme. Um, and yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people are successful with that. There's so many products that are interesting and look nice and are still a joy to use. And that's where, that's what we should all strive to do. Hey, did you know Bumble is the recipient of the 2019 Editor's Top Pick Innovative Award? This dating service continues to grow and innovate in an extremely competitive industry. This is Bumble's second consecutive year to earn this award. Interesting. In fact, while you speak about um, you know this Lara, let's talk about the fairy tale story of good design. In fact, most of the designers will agree that good design is invisible, but so is bad harmful design as well. The problem is that we don't notice them because we're not a part of the groups they hurt. The question that I have for you, Lara, here is how can designers create products by keeping the users at the heart of good product design and effective communication? I think, you know, that's like one of the most important questions of the next decade, I would say. It's really easy, I guess, and that's a, a corner that we fell into, 
to say that good design is invisible, good design is frictionless, when, you know, that creates a very objective lens through which we're looking at design. I think design is a lot of things at the same time. Design can sometimes be better if invisible, but like you said, sometimes making it invisible makes it bad for people. So sometimes you need friction. Um, sometimes you need, you know, design to kind of get in the way instead of um, getting out of the way. A good example of that is, um, you know, the those military um, dashboards that you have that had like this red big button that would destroy something or like, I don't know, do a, cause a nuclear bomb and there is a little lid on top of it and you have to lift the lid and then press, that lid is added friction. And you will see a lot of that in other things that cause harm, like guns. Guns have safety. Um, a lot of these objects that can cause harm, they have specific steps to cause friction so people will have a harder time and they will need more intention to use them. And I think that's the key to tech. Um, it's causing friction when people need intention to do bad things. Um, there's a quote that says, you know, whoever created the ship also created the shipwreck. Um, before the existence of ships, there were no shipwrecks. So when we create something new, we also create the misuse and the bad things that come from that something new. And we need to take that responsibility. So how do you like keep the user at the heart and keep creating good design? you need to understand the effects of your product and when they're going to have a negative effect on your user instead of the intended one, which is, you know, I don't see a lot of designers who want to do bad, bad things to people. So it's never intended that it's going to cause harm. Um, but we as designers, we have the responsibility to understand the possibility that it is going to cause something bad and to address that via more friction, via, you know, just... Like outright stopping that from happening and thinking of a different solution. And that's really, I think the next frontier of design is really taking that responsibility and accountability. So for me, it's all about um, processes in place and frameworks and an understanding and a team that is diverse as well. So they can have a, a different points of view to be able to even see those missteps and those risks and address them before you release something, before the damage is done, not after. I think that's the secret um, to just creating good things, just, you know, just creating positive impact in the world. Interesting. In fact, my next question, Lara, is about a love triangle. Innovation has not always been understood as something technological and commercial. It's design which acts as a catalyst for both business and technology. Or we can say that design, technology, and business are a part of the innovation love triangle. My question is, how can we blend the sensibility of design, the feasibility of technology, and the strategy of business to drive innovation? I think, to be honest, like the key is in the question because design... Um, in itself is innovation, but no one can build anything alone. I think that's the secret. And that's something that sometimes designers don't like to hear, but it's the truth. Um, I think being able to understand product and talk to product and similarly understand technology and play and innovate with technology 
is what can set us apart and really create innovation. So if you're a designer who don't understand how the things that you're designing are built, you don't understand, you don't have to code. I don't believe that designers need to code. But if you don't understand, you know, what is React Native, what is, um, you know, the kind of native languages that um, iOS is using, Android is using, or web is using, and how, you know, design systems work on the code level and all those things that we talk about all the time. If you don't understand how those things are built, your options are very limited to how you can challenge and evolve them with your team. So as designers, we unfortunately are in a position where we have to know a little bit about everything because that's how you really bridge that gap. Um, and similarly with product, I think the more we understand each other and this kind of triangle of people know of each other's capabilities and talents the further and, and also trusts it like we need really need to trust that we each bring different things to the table the more we do this the better the results gonna be so you know having a great working relationship but also having the trust to really push it and really do things that are out there they are new they're risky um you know, in a good way, risky in the way that um, like might be risky for the business, but not for the people that might be risky in terms of like, wow, this is so out there that it might test terribly. Um, but if it does test well, we achieved something great here. That's the spirit that you should go into your job um, every day is about really pushing for a vision of the future. And you cannot do this alone. So yeah, you really need to trust your partners and I love to work with tech and business people. So it makes me really happy that kind of design is getting closer to them. Wow, Lara, uh, the conversation with you is so interesting, exciting. Uh, there's so much of learning with the conversation, but unfortunately, we need to come to our last question. And we just hope to keep in touch with you and keep uh, you know, talking all sorts of uh, such conversations with you. Uh, mm -hmm. which I'm sure that our listeners would also love to uh, talk to you. So here is my last question for you. At Avantika University, we coined the term designering, which is the base ideology that we operate on. Uh, we talk about the blended approach of design and technology coming together, and that is where we call it designering. The question that I have for you is, do you see the blend of design and engineering in your field and your process? And what do you think is the impact of this blended approach? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I think, to be honest, like this approach depends on a lot of things. So I think, like I said, I think designers and engineers, they can keep being different people or they can be the same person in a company. But beyond that, I really see a symbiosis between these two practices. So the closer we get to designing, um, like using tools that design and build at the same time, the closer we get to what being an engineer is. So, you know, before we used to use Photoshop, which was very visual based, then we moved to Sketch, now we're using Figma. And each of those is a step closer to development. And in a similar way, developers are using things or are coming, bringing them closer and closer to design, like design systems, for example, um, they are understanding more and more of what makes design so important. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, regardless of title or what you do 
um, when you sit down in a chair and work is we're really, really kind of is changing the field. So I love this idea of like design, designering. Um, I think it's, it's a great next step, I guess, for design, because if you think about architects, for example, they understand the construction at the same time as they understand um, the visual side and the kind of living in interacting side of what they do. So I, I really hope that one day designers can be like that and they can really own um, kind of this um, expertise around how things are built and why and and the best way to build them. So I'm all for it. I, I really believe that. And I think it's great that, you know, there's a movement in the industry to push for that. Wow. Thank you so much, Alara, for sharing uh, your experience, your thoughts uh, with all of us, all our listeners. I'm sure that all of them are going to have a lot of learning from this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on our show on Valentine's Day. Wish you and everyone in your team, everyone on your mobile application, a very happy Valentine's Day. And yeah, let's spread more love around in the world and make it a better place to live in. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Really happy to do this. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.